welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, and friend, James Goad. And together, we're discussing the very weird things that preachers say, why they say them, and how they relate back to the latter rain healing revivals of the late 1940s through the 1960s. James, today we have one of those episodes that it really reaches so far beyond. I, I know the intro just said the latter rain healing revivalist, but it reaches so far beyond that that it's almost difficult to contain it within the boundaries of this one episode. Um, as you know, Charles and I have we've briefly touched on this subject in the main historical podcast that we do, and some of the key figures involved with what this became, and also talked about how they tried to cover up the histories of why they <laughs> said this, which makes it a even weirder doctrine that we can get into. And that doctrine, um, as you know, and our listeners are about to find out, is very deeply associated with William Branham's manifested Sons of God theology, wherein the idea that God was going to manifest himself in human flesh, and this human flesh would usurp the role of the Holy Spirit in leading and guiding you. They, they were taught literally that they were the manifestations of the Holy Spirit or whatever is their different flavor, leading and guiding. But more than that, they became little miniature dictators who were just, you know, whatever they said was the law. You, you had to believe it. And if you, <laughs> if you didn't, well, you were not agreeing with the Holy Spirit for your day, my brother. <laughs> yeah, it's, Ah man, it's it's one of those things where now you look back on it and it it, it it's com it's comical because your your brain can't even believe that you were susceptible to this or, or you believe this in the first place. But you know, just just the fact that you know in in some of these movements we allow these ministers to have such power over our minds and and the things that they say are, are treated with such reverence, you know, and uh, it, it it's crazy and. and you know, digging in and uh, trying to figure out where these things come from and, and how, how we even how we even got to this point um, is so fascinating. And you know, one of the things I wanted to highlight here, just off, just right off the rip here, is uh, uh, this quote from uh, from Branham in uh, in 1951 out of uh, my commission, and he's sort of setting up this entire thing. And this is one of the ways he does it. <clears throat> so he's speaking to the crowd here, and he says, "Now I'm just your brother." By, gr by the grace of God, but when the angel of the Lord moves down, it becomes then a voice of God to you. And then he stops for a second. He said, maybe I offended you by saying that. Forgive me. But I felt that it might have been resented. Um, but I am, I am God's voice to you. See, I say that again. This, this time, <laughs> this time that was under inspiration. See, and I felt bad about it at first, but I repeated it. Now, see, I say nothing in myself. But what he shows me, I say it, you believe it, and watch what happens. See, he did. And <laughs> it's so crazy to, um, you know, you, you look at this and, and, you know, 
being raised, you know, I, 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 be- I believe stuff like this, you know, and then, you know, just, just to see how this particular quote, I, I remember the first time I came across it, it was, it was such a, well, the first time I came across it after I started deprogramming it, because you see how he says, he says what he says, and then he backs up and says, oh, well, maybe you didn't quite, maybe you weren't quite receptive. So now I'm going to say it's under inspiration and that this is God speaking now. So now you have to be receptive. Yeah. And it's such, <laughs> it's so manipulative and it's crazy to, to see. He literally does it in plain sight. And, and you're just like, afterwards you see it and you're like, wait, what did he just really do what I just saw him do? <laughs> yeah. It's, it really is unbelievable, man. To, Anybody who was raised in this and brainwashed, I don't recommend that you go back and listen to it because it becomes like listening to the Pied Piper, right? You've been manipulated and brainwashed by this person all your life, and he's had his way with your mind through these recordings and, you know, <laughs> through the ministers who are preaching about the recordings instead of preaching about about the Bible. So I don't recommend that they listen to it, but to the people who are listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube who are interested in learning more about the dynamics of this destructive cult, I highly recommend that you find the audio for that sermon. It's tape index 51-0505. The title is My Commission. And just listen to the voice because <laughs> it will absolutely blow your mind. It sounds like, you know, having deprogrammed, I, I went through the same thing, right? I'd listen to it and it's like the Pied Piper. You All these bells and whistles go off in your head and you're like, oh, oh no, he's got me. He's got me. <laughs> but after you deprogram from that and separate yourself and hear it, it really sounds like snidely whiplash, man. <laughs> it's this really, really, really fake. You can you can hear the fake smile on his face. That's how bad this yeah. is, right? I am God's voice to you. See, I say that again. Uh, that time was under inspiration. See, and then he he knows that he's saying something that is so purely evil and destructive that. He feels guilt from it. You can hear the guilt. <laughs> and and that's a level beyond Snidely Whiplash, right? Because he knows that he's guilty. And then he, he said, okay, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm doing wrong. I know that I am usurping the role of the Holy Spirit in all of these people's lives, but I'm going to say it again. And then he repeats it. And that time he says, and that time it was with authority, my brother. <laughs> I know it, it's it's crazy because you know when, when you're raised in it, and like you said, and, and the programming is 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 activated in your mind. You hear these things, and and you you're taught to see them in a completely different light. You're like, this is this is him coming and being meek and 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 trying to um, not offend these people who are not going to receive him as the prophet messenger of the age. But he's coming, and 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 he's trying to find a way to to those that'll hear, you know, let him hear. And, and he's sort of being coy and 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 not really. But then like when the spirit. And then she'll have so much to say, well, God just got to get through there eventually. And so eventually he says it under the, you know, again with the inspiration and you're just like, oh, it's so silly, you know, because you literally see, it's like the magician forgot the first part of his trick. Yeah. And so he goes, oh, wait, let me redo this trick. But this time I got to put the inspiration part in it because that's what makes it work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so wrong, man. I mean, picture this. If I were to tell you, I would like you to come over and mow my lawn. 
and God is speaking through me for you to do that. <laughs> Don't you tell me no, brother, because God told you to mow my I mean, there are people, that sounds silly and stupid, and you'd say, get away from me, man. Don't say that to me. But whenever you're in the setting of a church and you've turned off all your critical thought, I mean, let's face it, that's what these people are doing, turned off all their critical thought, and this man has just told them that God is speaking through him, and he is usurping the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and they have to listen to him because it's an audible representation of what the Holy Spirit should be. Well, then these people listen to it, and I'm trying to picture what it was like in that in that setting when he's saying this, this uh, My Commission sermon, because this is not at his home church in Jeffersonville, Indiana. This is in Los Angeles, California, and, you know, I'm trying to picture a group of people who is listening to this man who aren't in his cult of personality. They're in the broader cult, which includes We've examined them, hundreds and hundreds of these evangelists. So they're in this broader movement, and here's this one single evangelist who's on the platform. Usually, you can go look at the videos, usually there's a whole seating section behind the speaker where all these men are. Sometimes it was in like a breakfast setting, and you know, we've got all these tables of these men, and they get up and speak or whatever. Whatever was the setting, and I'd have to go look up which one it was, but whatever is the setting, he's not the only one there. This is Los Angeles, California. All these people that hear this, and they know that this is not only heresy, but this is authoritative, domineering evil that that they're listening to. What in the world did they think, and why did nobody stand up and say, that man should never be given a microphone again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's fascinating about that is, is you even hear Branham and his, and this is early days. This is 51, you know, um, cause what his first recording that we have access to here is what 47. So this is not that long after when we've, when he's starting to say this stuff. Um, and what's, you know, cause even he said in some of his, his sermons where they don't want, <laughs> don't want they just want me to do the healing you know and it's it, it's like you know it, you know it's it's crazy how you can kind of see where when he kind of gets too much rope he starts saying things like this and he starts saying the quiet part out loud and yeah it's everyone's got their own little grift going and some people go in different directions and sometimes you just can't say things like this in in front of the larger group you know it's like it's like no don't 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 that, that's not this crowd don't say that in front of these people yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah no, it, it's crazy and we've we've examined it a little bit in the historical podcast there were some severe mental health issues. William Branham was diagnosed with a mental health condition that they said was incurable. And this is really evident in the later years of his life. This is 1951. He had already been through a, it's either one or two, I can't, I'd have to go back and look, but either one or two severe mental health crises by this point in time, by 1951. So, if you have a person who is insane and they tell you, I'm God's voice to you, <laughs> you're not going to listen to it, right? Now, the entire general audience did not know that he was suffering with mental health issues, but his campaign managers did. In fact, in the in the Voice of Healing magazine, William Branham was replaced for a period of time. He came out and became the head, spearheaded this revival. 
And then he had a mental health breakdown. They had to take him off, and William Freeman replaced William Branham and became the very temporary leader of the movement. And William Branham came back. Well, everyone who saw this happen and knew that this man had a mental health break and replaced him and brought him back, they all knew this. And then to think that these same men heard him say this, why did nobody try to stop it? You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you let free reign on the man who's struggling with mental health. And they had to have known that this would create some destructive movement. I mean, this is purely evil. And this is in a church, in a, um, you know, maybe not a church, but it was in a religious setting. It was probably an auditorium. But what happened was exactly that. It did turn into this weird movement. And that phrase, that thought, it wasn't the first time that William Branham said this kind of thing. But it attracted people who wanted that power. You've got Jim Jones, who is saying the same exact thing. We've got examples of that on the jonestown.sdsu.edu website. This was a thing that turned into a movement. And then after William Branham died, other men became this new voice of an authority, which we'll get into later in the show. But these men who watch William Branham do this, they knew that this was going to happen. And the fact that they didn't stop it, I I have huge problems with this. Right. And the thing about it is, and, and this might be a bridge too far for some people, but I, I don't, I think for the vast majority of the, of the ones that I've examined, I think that it's very safe to say that the money was just too good. The, the, the gravy train was, was going too well. You had, you had the mind, you had the, the people were putty, their, their minds were putty in your hands in, in these meetings. And, 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 you know, it, there's entertainment thing of, of bringing a man who's going to heal and they do all these things. And, and you examine a lot of these healing ministries and, and just the spectacle that they are and the things that they do to sort of enrapture the minds of, of the people that are there. Um, the, the, the stage personas and the stage acts are not too different from the things we see today in a lot of the, the word of faith movement and things like that, because it's, it's all a spectacle. And it, it, it's like, if it's, if you're just looking at it from an entertainment point of view, I don't necessarily see a problem with it. It may be, you know, they're invoking God. And, and so it's, it's, it's problematic from that point of view. But if you're just like, if you're just treating it like entertainment, maybe whatever, but you know, when, when you see some of the people from today, from the Word of Faith movement and, and, and how they're like, it, it's always like, you know, I, I think of one example where a minister, <laughs> a very popular TV evangelist was, was like, was going to blow the wind of God and, and, and eradicate COVID from the <laughs> land, you know, and it's just all these things and it's, it's a spectacle. It's entertainment. And, you know, these people are doing their own destructive things in their own way. And it all is part of the same template is what it feels like. Yeah, exactly. And we've kind of went backwards. So we started with the problem and <laughs> the answer as to what is this instead of the ministers. But there was a purpose behind this, because if you were indoctrinated in this thing, the words that we're going to use, and I'm going to spell them out clearly here and then let you get into to the research. But words are confusing because they're trying to confuse the minds of the people with these Greek words instead of the way the Bible is translated. And the people get so confused, they're like, oh, well, that must be right because I'm confused. He used a big word. But one of those words is rima. There is no equivalent 
in the English language of the word rima or the word logos in a single word. One word in English cannot contain these. There, it, it takes an entire paragraph of English text to understand how complex these words were. But essentially, the logos was translated as the like the perfect philosophy. It was the it was the meaning that the philosophers gave to their philosophy. And the rima was the action of uttering it. And so it produced a substance. So whenever you think about this, this is the rima would be the substance, the, the action of producing the substance of their perfect philosophy. So Christians get, they misunderstand this a bit in the fact that they, this movement has produced the notion that there were manifestations of God who could speak and produce these Rima things, right? And then what happened is after Branham died and this manifested sons of God began to splinter and blossom into this, basically the word of faith movement, well then that power was then given down to the ministers so that the ministers had absolute control over their congregations. And so the <laughs> the authority of the Holy Spirit then went from the hierarchy, if you look at the pyramid structure of a cult, it went from the central figure who has died to all of the enforcers, and those enforcers now have the power to usurp the role of the Holy Spirit in their own churches, and people willingly submit to this, which is, it's mind-boggling. Right, and, you know, it's one of those things when you look at manifested sons of God and all these different doctrines that was produced from Branham and, and, and you look at how it's all being sort of interpreted and used and abused today to come up with really these enforcement schemes that, that a lot of these ministers, it's sad to say, are employing to, um, you know, to, to, to put such a weight behind the words that they're speaking. Um, and, you know, it, it was such a shock for me when I came out because, you know, I, I, I looked at, you know, I used to hold some of these, some of these ministers in such high regard because, you know, I, I literally believed that God was using them on a daily, on a weekly basis to try to instruct me and to try to uh, bring me in a closer walk with God. And when you step back from the programming, you step back, step back from all the stuff and you start to really see like, you know, we've talked about in the, in the larger historical podcast and look at where these things came from, look at their origins, look at how they were used, look at the meanings and the reasonings behind it. And then you see how they're being used today. And it, it just, it, 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 it's a massive shock to the system because it's, it's completely opposite from how you were, you were taught to receive it, uh, you know, it, while you were in it. Um, but this, this clip here is, is a prime example of how, how these things, when taken to their logical conclusion, you can see the building blocks for really destructive things and in, in their outcome. But yeah, let's take a look at this clip and, uh, and see what we think. God speaks to you by a rhema word. It's as if though God himself took that preacher's mouth and spoke right out of there to you. You ought to accept that as the word from God. That, that's the perfect example, James, that we're talking about because, again, it was a transition of power after the central figure died, and the usage of this combination of words, the logos and the rima, where the gospel and the New Testament 
it's very clear. I will send you the Holy Spirit, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Well, these ministers who were brought up under this latter rain mess that was created, this cancer that spread throughout Americanized Christianity, what happened was whenever the central figure died, then they became what the central figure was in his authoritative structure to their churches. And there's really no centralized leadership for for this. Every single one of the different branches that emerge from this movement, now you've got differing churches with differing schools of thought on what the central figure meant whenever he said something that was just completely off the rails. Again, from a person who has severely challenging mental health issues. Well, none of them are cohesive and coherent. And so what you have is a lot of confusion. And they're trying to tell you that this perfect word that is uttered through their mouths to their congregation, they're, they're using the word rima as though it is the perfect word from God. They're trying to say that this is something that God himself is speaking through them and put any one of these two <laughs> two ministers from these different branches of this latter rain movement, put any two of them into a room together and have them talk about their theology, and you'll probably end up with a fist fight. That's how <laughs> different <laughs> yeah. these, these men are. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing because I, I remember, remember growing up and being – told that you know we had the perfect understanding we we differed from your group you know and 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 other groups and you know we thought we had it right and then our minister was the one that was kind of spearheading that movement and then you look around at all these other people and they're doing the exact same thing they're saying our group has it right and and whatever but even even worse when when you really dig down into the logical conclusion of where these things go when when a minister is saying that god is literally speaking through me and and you ought to accept that as a word of god when god's doing it now you don't know when God's doing it. And even the minister will say, well, I don't even know when God's doing it. God just chooses when they take control of the vessel. And, and the word, you know, I, you'll hear ministers say, I don't even know where this is coming from. I don't even know why I'm going in this direction. And they'll, they'll set up this mystique of, of, of that God is, God is taking control of the wheel at this moment. And God's walking down the pew to speak directly to you in your pews. And, it sets up this thing where you are the one that has to be attentive to understand when it's actually God, because the minister's not going to tell you directly, because that would be that would be showing the hand. That 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 would be um that would be exposing the intent. But when it's upon you to the minister says the things and you have to understand when it's God because you're responsible for if God's saying it, then you're responsible if you don't obey it. So people very easily fall into this thing of, well, I'm just going to accept, I'm just going to err on the side of caution and I'm going to accept that maybe most of the time it's God and I just need to be listening most of the time. And when you fall into that side of it, things get really dangerous really quick. And, and it, and it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy to, to see the progression of this thing, this so many years later and see where it's being taken. <laughs> Absolutely. And <clears throat> I think people don't realize the danger um, the things that were going on behind the scenes in this movement, we've talked about it in the historical podcast, but there were forces at play that had nothing to do with religion. We're talking organized crime, politics, 
um, Nazism. There's so many different elements to this. And we've talked about, uh, if you go way, way back in the early parts of our uh, podcast, we talk about the ties to the liquor rings that was supplying the Chicago mob with their <laughs> whiskey and liquor. And <laughs> it's we can't have an episode about Rima without mentioning the Kenneth Hagen ties to this and the uh you know he's got the rima bible school and the word rima when you when you mention this to a christian today who's familiar with all of this they immediately think kenneth hagan and they think that he introduced this concept but he was part of this broader movement and he was deeply deeply connected to it we've got <clears throat> on the website if you go to the kenneth hagan page and click on government documents you'll find that in the year, I think it's 1984 or so, he, Kenneth Hagen, his uh, evangelistic association was joined. And, and think about this. The, the word Rima means literally the utterance of a spoken word, a voice of God. It's, it's so tied to this, <laughs> this whole thing that William Branham was saying. But in 1984, Kenneth Hagen joined with the William Branham Evangelistic Association, which was William Branham's own organization from Jeffersonville, Indiana, with The Voice of God Recording Studio. And think about that. The Voice of God, Rima, Logos. Also, Spoken Word Publications. Again, Spoken Word, <laughs> Rima, Logos. All of these names, even the names themselves, our representation of this thing that William Branham was introducing into American Christianity. And th this is 1984. We're talking William Branham had been dead for years, de over, what is it, two decades. He had been dead, and these men are still in bed together. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because... I remember growing up and, and, and hearing spoken word all the time. And, uh, even though we were, um, my, my group was very, uh, militantly against, uh, your group because, you know, we, we, we considered you all the heretics, which is, is all hilarious. And, <laughs> and in retrospect, <laughs> it's all funny when you, when you really <laughs> allow yourself to really look at it, it's, it's, it is quite hilarious, but, um, you know, and, and the, just the thing, you're constantly being indoctrinated with spoken word and all these things. And, and while I don't, I, I feel like the, the Rima turn and, and, and what I'm hearing these days is, is sort of a, it feels like a new turn, but in reality, it was already there. Yeah. It, it was already in the mixture. It's just, it's being verbalized in a different way now. And like you said, you got spoken word, Rima, it's, it's, we're, we're saying the same thing. We're just using different language now. And, and even like you've shown, other people got there in different ways, you know, through other branches of the movement. And they already got there. They yeah. were already saying it. And other people are just co-opting it now. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And I, and, and you know, and, and even like, uh, you know, Hagen and, and those guys, it, it's, it's amazing because I, I always, I, I, and I've said this before, I was always taught to see them as they were the frauds. They were the ones that tried to, Brandon was the only true, um, healer, uh, you know, uh, Real prophetic person of that time. And, and, and so, um, all these other people tried to copy and, and all, and all these things. But, but then you look at how deeply tied these people are, how, how embed together they are. And then you see, you see the tendrils 
of things that Branham was, was introducing and speaking still reverberating today through these ministries in on all these different branches, whether you're word of faith or, or, or latter rain or whatever, it's all reverberating still through. And it's amazing how it's gotten, there's so many of these branches that have gotten so far distant from each other that it's got, it's gotten so hard to trace it back. But when you do through, through, especially through the, through the uh, main historical podcast and you really see how everything <laughs> is connected, it really is, is like really shows you how widespread it is and how much it's still affecting people today. And it's, it's crazy because in my, in my worldview, I always saw the, 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 the latter rain movement, the, the things that I was associated with. I saw these things as such an isolated thing, but I didn't know I had second cousins out there being taught, being influenced by the same things I was influenced by, even if they didn't know where they came from. Yeah. And not even from a religious standpoint, but just from a, (laughs) the things that were going behind the scenes, we'll never know. We'll never have the answers because they, some of these things were criminal and I can't say that these men, well, one of them I can because he admits it, but I can't say that all these men were part of the organized crime, but there's a lot of weirdness. You know, I can clearly say that Roy Davis, William Branham's mentor, was involved with many different criminal activities. We've got thousands of documents proving this on the website. He began in Texas, and he was widely known all through Texas, especially in the Dallas area. He rose to become the Imperial Wizard of the Klan, and he was living in Dallas. And he's the one who mentored Branham. There's this weird question as to why he and his brothers chose Jeffersonville, and we've examined that fairly thoroughly. The question being, was he connected to the Branham family before he moved to Jeffersonville, and what brought him to Jeffersonville? That's that's the question. We've posed that before. But, again, he, he was from Texas, and he was from just across the border to Oklahoma where William Branham says that his mother and father lived. And, in fact, he says they were just north of Paris, Texas, and that's where, where uh, Davis was. Davis then again, like I said, he gets into the embedded into the Dallas Fort Worth area. Well, that's the same sub that's the same district where Kenneth Hagen was born. Hagen was born in McKinney, Texas. So were they connected before? I don't know. But then you enter <laughs> Kenneth Hagen's brother, Dub Hagen, into this equation. We've talked about the organized crime, the liquor rings, all of this stuff. Well, Dub Hagen later admitted that he was part of the mafia underworld, and he said that he was connected directly to Al Capone. So we've got Charles Branham, William Branham's father, who's producing liquor that is going to Al Capone, uh, to the Chicago mob. And... You've got Dub Hagen, who says that he was connected to Al Capone long before Capone was even in Chicago, which is really weird. He says that he was part of, he was the one who introduced Bonnie Parker to Clyde Barrow. Now that's the famous Bonnie and Clyde, James. <laughs> this is Dub Hagen, who says I connected Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it, it's 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 amazing because. You know, it, it, it's, it's sobering when you, uh, when you really look at 
a lot of these things and, and really dig down and look at their history. And um, because when you when it's being presented to you in a religious context, it has a way of being so powerful in your mind. And the the, the fact when you see some of these guys and, and see see the charlatanous nature of what they're doing and, and you look at their, their associations and the things they try to hide, and it really does help demystify a lot of this and, and, and really helps break that connection in your mind. And, and, uh, and, and you can see why so many people have their stage personas and they they hide the truth of of their origins because you know they've got skeletons that they don't want exposed (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's uh it it's it's sad that some of us were so bamboozled for so long but you know it is it is nice that at least now we can actually look and 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 see these things for what they are you're right and you know these men they can literally say anything that they want as long as they have convinced and manipulated you to believe that whatever i'm struggling not to use the word i want to you to use but whatever (laughs) things come out of their mouth (laughs) yeah i'll just say it like that whatever things come out of their mouth which is even nonsense right they can tell you nonsense but if they tell you nonsense with the authority that that came from god this nonsense came from god these people believe it. And Kenneth Hagin, who's, you know, he's got this Rima Bible College. He came from this movement. He was in bed with these guys in the 80s, as late as the 80s, long before this, but as late as the 80s <clears throat> and probably beyond. Go back and just listen to some of the things that he claims is this Rima. Listen to him give his spiritual utterances. And you're going to hear that if you've never heard it before and you hear the way he babbles in the way that <laughs> it's uh, I, when I heard it the first time, I actually pictured a, a park setting where a woman's pushing a stroller and a baby and a guy leans over. Hey, that's a cute baby. And the baby looks up and makes the sound. That's what I pictured <laughs> when I heard Kenneth Hagin. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's crazy because you know I'm I'm not as familiar with Kenneth Hagen as, as I am with some of the other guys that I've seen, but you know it's uh it, it's 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 crazy because you know a lot of these guys are still active today, still doing their stuff, and and a lo- there's still a ton of people that are spawning off of of the 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 movements that these guys have have had going on, you know. But one of the guys that that, that always comes to mind is 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 kenneth copeland because it it was amazing because i i encountered his it's a very infamous uh quote about um you know being in a plane as in a tube of demons and all the all these all these worldly ungodly people being around you and god can't speak to you because you're surrounded by all these people and it's amazing because when i heard that clip of him that was immediately when i heard it on a podcast and they were they were making fun of it because they were like can you believe this tv evangelist guy is saying these things about people he's supposed to be like loving and godly and he's talking about he can't be and he has to be on a private jet because he can't be in a normal airliner because he's in this tube full of demons and god can't speak to him properly and it's just it gets in the way of the of the spirit um which is complete hogwash when you, when you really think about it it's it's so silly but 
when I heard that, I, I was listening to that podcast while I was working one day, and that that one single thing literally hit something in me, and I and and and, and I can't really quite describe it, but I literally made a turn on that very moment and went, I need to start looking into what I was raised to believe. It was very weird because it was completely out of left field, but there was, it must've been something about the way that he was saying that sounded so much like the, the, the way that my group had talked about people that were outside of our movement. And I don't know what it was, but something just hit me and, and it, it literally just turned me on a dime. And, and, and I hadn't actually up to that point been able to really look at anything, but it's amazing that that one little thing that this guy said literally started me on a path and got me here today. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah. <clears throat> and these men, I mean, they were connected from a religious standpoint, but like I said earlier, there appears to be a much broader, much more sinister way of connecting them that we'll never have all the answers to. We can just give you some of the puzzle pieces and let you look at it. But Kenneth Copeland is another one. He, he is from Fort Worth, Texas, man. That's where Roy Davis had his <laughs> had his biggest control, especially during the Lateran revival movement. And you had men, and we've mentioned it in the previous episodes, but you've got men like Oral Roberts, who was also part of this thing. It was it was called the latter rain message, but a lot of ministers just shortened that to the message. This is the message. And you can hear, I think I've even got examples of Kenneth Hagin using that phrase. I know I've got like Teal Osborne and some of the others, but all these men were in it. And Oral Roberts was a heavy hitter in it. We've got photographs of William Branham holding revival meetings with Roberts. And so all these men are connected and in it. Well, Kenneth Copeland, who is his organization is in Fort Worth, he attended the, um, the Oral Roberts University. So he's being influenced by Oral Roberts. And he apparently there is a claim out there, which I have to dig deeper to see where it is and where it came from. But apparently Kenneth Copeland was a private chauffeur for Oral Roberts, and he was also a pilot for Oral Roberts. So he's in bed with all of these guys. He's in bed with the both the religious side, and based on his proximity, there may have also been you know some of the ties to what was going on in the 60s in Dallas-Fort Worth that Davis was spearheading. So you've got all of this weird weird connections between these men. Now, I can't say all of it's sinister. I can't say that Copeland was involved with directly with the things that were going on with Roy Davis, but the fact that they're all in this Dallas-Fort Worth proximity and they're religiously connected, it raises huge questions for me. You know, the fact remains that a lot of these people, when you see how their movements have progressed and, and how they've done their ministries... It's always centered around money and getting people to, you know, God will, God will bestow blessings upon you if you send me part of your checkbook, you know, part of the money out of your checkbook. <laughs> and, you know, it's not, I was raised to believe that Branham never uh, lifted an offering, you know, yeah. and, you know, we know that's not true, you know, and, all these things, you know, you look at all these guys, they're all doing the same trick. It's always comes back to money and, and how the, the 
entertainment that they're presenting people and and to some people it's entertainment to some people that's what gets them in the door and other people they get caught up in the movement itself but it always is a way to dig deeper and deeper into your pocketbook and you know it's 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 hard to believe you look at some of these people and it's hard to believe that they even believe in the bible at all because the things that they're doing and the way they're manipulating people and you know, from a, from a human point of view, I'm sure that some of these people have convinced themselves that even if what they're doing is just a placebo to the to the person, like, hey, maybe they're not actually doing anything for them other than giving them hope that maybe God will do something for them. Some people use reasoning like that to convince themselves that they're not actually the bad guy. But <laughs> when you're giving people false hope and then enriching yourself in the process, you're the bad guy. <laughs> There's no way to get around it. Yeah, and entertainment's exactly right. I mean, make no mistake, plain and simple, this was religious entertainment. That's all it was. And it's really sad when you think about it because these ministers who are preaching this thing, James, they've got one job to do. <laughs> Every week for massive amounts of money, they've got one single job. They, <laughs> they get paid for every 10 persons who is in their congregation, they get paid an entire salary. So you can do the math. Just look around the church, look at the number of people in the church, divide it by 10. That's how many salaries that these men have. And they've got one job and that's read and teach the Bible. Well, they found a way to bypass that because many of these men are simply regurgitating what was produced by the Lateran movement. Many of them that we're examining, they're repeating, regurgitating what William Branham said, and that is their Bible. You, you hear them saying, Brother Branham said this, Brother Branham said that. You don't hear them saying, now, Ezekiel said this, and in Corinthians we find that. They do, but not as much as they quote Branham, a lot of them. And what they're doing is they're mimicking the entertainment of the days gone by. In other words, it would be like if you look at the old vaudeville shows and you get somebody who is massively famous in vaudeville and then all of the stagehand junkies after whatever that famous person, whoever he was, died, all those stagehand junkies decided to create their own <laughs> little groups <laughs> and they talk about the vaudeville artist who died and they just simply repeat his sketches or whatever that's how sad this is this is a dying movement that it had no life to begin with but that which that which was the framework that produced it is even further diluted by these men who are claiming that whatever it is that they're saying is now this rima and this word of god it's just it's really sad and even sadder than this james is thinking about the people who have unknowingly, unwittingly submitted themselves to this authority, many of them not realizing that they've even done it. There is something about human beings that, that this is something that we're susceptible to. And, and, you know, there's religion has been something that has been with us for as, as long as we can look back through history, religion has, has been with the human race. There's, so there's something here and it's, it's like, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time for people to examine what's going on and to try to find ways to hijack that for their own benefit, you know? And that's also something where when we go back and we look at this history and see 
where these things come from, why the, how these people got to where they are, who their connections are, who their associates are. It helps us map that stuff out in a way that kind of inoculates us to be like, okay, your foundation is fraudulent. So I don't have to, when you say you're coming and speaking a Rima word to me, I know that you're full of it. So, so <laughs> I can pretty much dismiss that, you know, but without that, it's, you know, they, they, they play on this whole, the, the Rima thing and, you know, be careful because at any moment God can hijack my voice and be speaking directly to you. And if, and if that's happening in that moment and you don't listen, then you're under God's judgment, not my judgment, not the preacher. You're under God's judgment because you didn't listen to God. And it's, ah, uh, it's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to picture in the normal world, trying to picture what would happen. Picture yourself going into work, James, and you suddenly tell everybody that I have, just had an utterance from God, and I do not want to do this job that you've given me because God has spoken, and I should do your job instead. I want to be the supervisor. What are they going to say to you, man? <laughs> and essentially, if you really take a step back and critically think about what these men are doing, it is exactly that. God has spoken through me, and I am now levels higher in authority than a minister is supposed to be, than a biblical minister is supposed to be. I'm levels higher in authority than that because I have this utterance from God. I have this rima. That is exactly what these men are saying. When you combine that with manifested sons of God, it's like, okay, I'm speaking rima. I'm God speaking through me, but also you're miniature gods too. And as you become further into this thing and you become into a fullness of what this thing is trying to be, you are also getting, you know, you were incorporating you into the pyramid scheme. <laughs> so it's one of those things where you're getting the buy-in of the people because you're also, while you're tricking them, you're also telling them this other thing that makes them feel good about what they're giving up to be part of this thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a carrot on a stick. I mean, yeah. what you're saying is exactly right. That's what they, that's the way that they present it. But I want, if, if you're in this cult and you're listening, I want one of you to just go up to the pulpit and say, I too have a Rima. I'm a manifested son of God too. <laughs> See what they do to you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just double standard. You're never going to achieve this double standard that they've created for you. So, you know, all I have to say is this. If you just stop and critically think, if you put yourself into a position where you are examining what is being done to your head by these men, you're going to realize that it is no different than them having a, <laughs> a verbal ball bat and just beating you with it. That's really all it is. They're beating you into submission. And according to biblical Christianity, these men do not have the authority to do this to you. So I've showed the picture before, and I'll try to find it if I can for the video, but the picture where this guy standing off the side of a cliff on a board and this entire group of people are holding that standing on that board, holding him up saying, yes, we agree with you who are demeaning to us, who's standing off of the cliff. These ministers are held up by the people. And if everybody were to critically think about what he's doing to their heads and just wake up and say, no, I'm not going to let you do this to my head. They don't even have a platform. They don't. They won't get this multiple salaries per year that they're filtering from the people and ste literally stealing from the people. So if you're in this type of movement, 
just try it out. <laughs> Go up to the platform. <laughs> I have a Rima too, my brother. I, I have the spiritual authority that you gave me when you said that I too can become this miniature God, this manifestation, this word of faith. Just try it out. See what happens. See if they like it. <laughs> so if you've enjoyed the show, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. And for an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the Healing Revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. 